0: Amen. Good morning church. Yeah, I couldn't wait. I had to baptize someone. I was jonesing. So uh, I had, we had friends in town and um, she came from a Catholic background and had always wanted to get baptized. She kind of uh, walked through that and became a part of our church and she moved and didn't work out and they came to visit and we're on the beach, we're all hanging out and I'm like, hey, I got a body of water talk as chief. Let's get this thing done. And she's like, okay. And so we just walked out in the water and I got to baptize Sarah. It was awesome. Her whole family was there. It was like so much fun. And now I'm warmed up now. So for Easter I'm good to go. Like I got the dunk maneuver down. So um, if you haven't done it, uh, I would love to talk with you. Let's sit down. Let's have a conversation. And let's see uh, who else is going to get baptized. I am hopeful. I'm shooting for six. That's my number. So you're like, you've got weird goals. I do. I do have weird goals. Uh, we are in First John, and we have been walking through, and we've had a lot of uh, fun conversations. I know that I've talked with a lot of you about what you've talked about in your life groups and what's been going on. We've had different speakers come, and actually, one of the times Matt spoke, and when he spoke, I was actually in Nashville at that time. And some of you knew that I went out there for the Super Bowl, and I went to go hang out with my high school friends. And so it was just chaos when a bunch of old high school friends get together with their kids and their wives, and they were driving me around Nashville, Tennessee. And there's this, there's this kind of ongoing joke of like, oh, there's a church on every corner. I'm like, okay, that's cute. That's real nice. It's true. There is a church on every major corner. I've never seen Anything like it. And every church has its own style and its own way. And some are hip and some are cool and some are lame and some are empty. Like they're, they're everywhere though. And they all got different names. The cool thing is to give your church a really cool name that sticks out. And so we were driving by this one church. Like, There's this church you got to see, Simon. We can't figure it out. And I'm like, okay, well, let's, let's drive by it. So we were going to wherever we were going. And the name of the church was Conduit Church in Nashville, Tennessee. And they're like... Simon, we have been racking our brains. What does this mean? Like, are they an electrical supply company? Are, are they a cult? Like, what are they? And they said, you're a pastor. Pastor. And I'm like, Okay. And I said, well, I know what a conduit is because I worked in that field. So, you know, conduits are usually, you know, pipes or their channels. They're even moving fluid or some kind of electrical equipment or data, whatever it may be. They're moving one thing to another. And so I would imagine if I had to guess, they're talking about being a conduit for God in their lives wherever they go. And so sure enough, I went online this week and I looked it up and I'm like... That's exactly what they're talking about. And so it was just kind of funny as I was looking at that, thinking about what does it mean to to take something somewhere? And when we're talking about that something being God, His love, His grace, His mercy, we're taking it to the world for them to see, to understand who He is. You're like, well, why do I bring this up? Because this is exactly what John is going to talk about today. This is exactly what he wants to communicate to these men and women in this passage of Scripture. But more importantly, this is what he wants us to know as well as believers of Jesus Christ, what it means to be conduits for who he is, his love to each other and the world around us. So I would say if you think about... Being around the church, maybe you've thought through these different questions and you go, Oh, if I want to look up this subject, I go here, or I go there. Now, if I was to guess and say, Hey, where would you say is the passage of love in the Bible? What would you say? First Corinthians 13, John 3, say, Like, yeah, those are the ones. And like, Corinthians 13, that's actually interesting. They talk about love nine times in that section. Maybe you've been to a wedding you're like, oh, it's the wedding one. So when they say every time, even though it's talking about a community of believers living together in harmony, like that's okay. You can use it at weddings. It's, it sounds good. But did you know that the passage we're in today speaks of love 27 times? It says, love or a command to love, 27 times, three times more than Corinthians 13. This is kind of the big one, and so what we're going to do is I want to read it. I want to see what God has to say, and and there's a lot here. We can't hit everything, so I want to land where I believe that John is trying to get the big idea, and we'll probably maybe grab a couple other things on the way, but this will be great for your life groups to really explore all the other statements that John is making. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to 1 John 4, 7 through 21. You can follow on the screen. You can follow on an app. If you don't have a Bible, go in the back and grab a free one. It's our gift to you. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us Of his spirit, and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe that the love that God has for us, God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment that we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Let's go ahead and pray and jump into this section. Jesus, as we move into this section that really is the embodiment of who you are, I ask that you would open our ears and our eyes to understand more of what this love looks like, what this love does, how this love interacts with us, and how that love works through us in ways that we can't imagine. Lord, where there's sin to be confessed, let us confess that, to be convicted of that. Where there's areas where we can take encouragement through your promises, let us hold to those promises deeply. I ask you, would you use me this morning, Holy Spirit, that I would kind of get out of the way and just allow you to do what you do best, which is speak your truth to your people. And I ask that you would move amongst us, that we would be a people that is reflected in this way that you speak of, of love. pray this in your glorious name, Jesus. Amen. Now, that was a mouthful. Even reading it, I'm like, whew, there's a lot of motion in words here. And so I want to just kind of tell you right now, we're not going to move around a lot in the Bible. We're just going to kind of stay here. And what I'm going to do is this I just kind of want to walk through what John is talking about and try to explain it in a way that maybe makes more sense as to where we are in this day and in this age. And so um, I'm only going to jump into two other passages, but it's very briefly, just so you know, like if you have your Bible, just kind of follow along and you'll start to see that I'm just kind of moving down the verses as we go today. And that's what's going to happen. Now, This is the third time that John has pressed on these men and women to love one another. And you have to start wondering why he keeps bringing it up. Is he just a rambling man who ran out of things to say? Or is there a deeper message that we need to understand? Because here's the thing, John is an older man right now. And John is understanding what's going on, that there is this next generation of believers that is going to take the reins of the church and move forward. And so he also understands this, they didn't walk with Jesus, a lot of them. They didn't hear Jesus speak. They didn't see the miracles. And so the apostles are much older in age. And so a lot of these people who have come to faith, they're just going by what they've been told because they've heard about it and then they've told them about it. And so there's this thing that needs to be communicated. He's saying, there's something paramount to who we are as believers. It is the thing that makes us defined from anybody else. And that is the idea of how we love, what we do with love, because love begets love. And that's what he's getting at. That's the big idea. That's the big picture of all Christian's life are defined by love. And if it is not, then you have to start asking the questions, are we really in relationship with the God that is love? And that's really what he wants to talk about. And there's going to be this reoccurring phase that happens in this particular section. And maybe you caught it. It's actually broken into three sections. It's going to say, love one another. It's going to give us some information. Love one another. There's going to be some more information Then he's going to say, love one another. And so he's saying, is like, this is how we are to live, and here's why that that takes place in that way and why we do that. And what John is going to do is he's going to start in the best place possible because love starts with God. It has to start with God. He's laying the foundation that all things come from and flow from God. And if we don't understand that, it's going to be really hard to know where our source is that we are going to live out of this. We need to know where it comes from and we need to know how that works within our lives. So love becomes a key factor when it comes to knowing who is from God, who are his children, and who aren't. John would go as far to say as if you do not love in this way, then you are not from God because God is love. That's a statement that he says a couple of times that God is love. And if we are connected to him, then it makes sense that love begets love. That's what he's getting at. Now, I'm not saying that that God is only love. That's, that's a misnomer. That's not true. That's not all that he is. He has many attributes. Love is one of them. And so when we think about attributes, I think we look at a pie sometimes. We go, This is a piece of pie and you can slice it up into a lot of pieces. And I like, you know, there's, there's the wrath pie and the judgment pie and then there's the love pie and then there's the justice pie. Well, that's not how God works. He's not little bits of and parts of. He is 100% love. All of his attributes are 100% in all ways. And so what I mean by that is he is wise, he is loving, he is just, he is all-powerful, he is all-knowing, he is gracious, he is holy, he is merciful, he is good, he is faithful, he is everywhere, he is all-present. And each one of those is 100% of who he is. So What I mean is that when he is just, he is perfectly just while at the same time being perfectly loving in that justice. We worship an amazing God. We also need to be careful that not thinking that, well, okay, so if somebody does something loving, that means they're from God? Because is that what you're saying? No, it's not what I'm saying. What I'm talking about that he is talking about his perfect love that is uncorrupted by sin. So God's version of love, God's standard for love, is not the same as ours. They are different. They don't look the same because one is tainted by love and one one is tainted by sin and one isn't. And he's going to describe this kind of love in verses 9 through 10. And I'll just read that again. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Okay. Um, He's going to say that this love showed up, was manifest amongst us. What's he saying? Well, he's talking about the embodiment of his love in the person of Jesus Christ. That's what he's talking about, that Jesus became manifest, Jesus is the embodiment of God's love. The problem with our idea of love is that we have changed the meaning to a lesser meaning, to a broken meaning, to a, a less powerful word, and the problem is that it's connected to God. So God's saying that he is love, but yet we've used it in lots of different ways. And, and here's what I mean by this, like... I love my family, uh, I love my spouse, uh, I love my kids, uh, I love my car, I love pizza, I love donuts. I, do you see the breakdown in the word? I'm using the same word, but the word is breaking down now. And here's the thing, we have to understand that it's important what that word love means. Because if I love my wife with the same love that I love pizza, she's not going to be super stoked to be in this marriage. Because pizza turns its back on me all the time and messes my gut up. I can't have pizza all the time, but I love pizza. You see how we've messed up the word love? It doesn't work the way that it's supposed to. It's not God's standard. And so when God says this is what love looks like, we need to pay attention. Now, it's true that love is a feeling, a feeling that we feel at times. But that is primarily not what love is. Love is an action. Love does something. It it sins and it gives. It's something that's not earned or deserved. It's, It's love that has grace and mercy attached to it. That he loved us by sending us his son. To show us what love looks like. What love values. What love looks like when it interacts with humanity. When it walks amongst us. It shows what love hates. It shows us that love lays down itself to help those that are unable to help themselves. That love finds the marginalized, the broken, the weak, the hurting. Do you know why our hearts are breaking for Ukraine right now? Because they don't have the ability to do what they need to do. Like, well, they're doing a good job. They're trying their best and we want to pray for them to do that. But they need help. We see them go, we need to do something because there's an injustice happening. That's what love does. Love is inconvenienced constantly. So my wife was in uh, with a bunch of girls, and she went on a trip to go hang out with them this weekend. And one of the things that I like to do is I like to clean the house. I like the house to be clean when she comes home, so she can come home and not have to worry about that because she values cleanliness. I didn't want to clean the house. I don't like, it's not, I'm like, I love clean. I don't like cleaning. It's super inconvenient. It took a day and a half. And I'm like, and I better get a compliment. Like, that's how I'm feeling in that moment. But I know that, that it's an inconvenience for me to love, but love steps in. And let me tell you something, love costs something. Love costs something. It's not free. And this is the gospel that God saw our brokenness. Because of sin, we were unable to save ourselves. We were separated from him. He became a man, that he humbled himself. Think about that. God took on humility to be like us. Nothing's more sobering than that that thought, than that idea that, that we're not as great as we think we are, that God is greater than us, and He had to step down to become like one of us. That as He did that, that He came to show us who God is, what God's like, how He sees the world. And He showed us what a life that honors God perfectly looks like. Think about that. Jesus showed us what it looks like to honor God perfectly every day, every moment, every second with every action and thought in his fiber and his being. You're like, well, everyone says that Jesus was just so different. Yeah, because he honored God perfectly with his entire life and we don't. That's the big idea, that he would trust God with everything. There was no distrust of God in his life. And think about that. That really is the definition of sin distrusting God. If God says this is bad and we do it, we're saying that's good, we say that he's a liar. When God says this is good and we say that that's bad, we're saying that you don't know what you're talking about, God. You're wrong. And if He is saying I am perfect and holy in every single way, then we're saying that we're smarter than the God of the universe. Now, we'd never say that, but that is what we're saying. And we're saying you're wrong, which means that you're There's fault in God, which means he's not even really a good God, which makes him a liar, which means he's full of sin, which means that we can't trust. Do you see when we sin, when we say this is the problem, when it comes to how we respond to God and who he is? See, his life was a life that stepped into the mess of our lives, and he was highly inconvenienced by having to fix our problem, our sin problem. To take our place on the cross for our punishment. And John's going to use a word here that's good for us to understand. We've talked about it before. It's called propitiation. And the definition that we will use for propitiation, the same one that I used last time because that's the actual definition, it's this. It means the appeasing, uh, the, the means of appeasing wrath and gaining the goodwill of an offended person. There's three parts to that. There's the appeasing wrath, there's gaining goodwill, and there's an offended person. Those are the three parts of the definition of that word and what it means. That there was some kind of punishment, some kind of wrath that was appeased. And when that was appeased, it turned the offended party to to see us with goodwill. Where before it was, I'm going to punish you, now it is, I'm going to bless you. Do you see the difference? That's what propitiation is. That's what Jesus did on the cross. That he appeased the wrath of God, That what we earned for sin. He died in our place, and now God has goodwill towards us because the offended party, who is God, has been appeased. That's what he's done for us in that moment. See, that's why it's like, who's offended God? Because you're saying, you're wrong. The wrath has been appeased. He's the offended party. He's always the offended party. That's why when David goes through his big thing, it's like, I've, I've sinned against you, God. Well, yeah, well, you killed someone and you slept with somebody out, but I sinned against you, God. Because he didn't believe God. He didn't trust God. Now, the next thing that John's going to do is going to move to how we interact with others. How do we interact with others with this love? So John says again, love one another. Transitional phase, right? Uh, Phrase. It shows how this love plays out in the life of a believer. How this kind of sacrificial love that the world has never seen can be seen. John historically is known as the apostle of... Okay, thank you. I love it when you guys get it right. It makes us all feel like we're, we're doing it... If you read his Gospels, he has a way that he refers to himself. And it is the one that Jesus loved. That's a phrase that John uses over and over and over again when he refers to himself. Now, he says this, and I'm not going to read them all, but they're listed. John 13, 23. John 21, 20. John 20, verse 2. John 21, 7. You can look them up in your groups. You can look at all those areas where he says that. And I remember reading those, and I thought, wow, John, you are super arrogant. Like, you're like, I'm so much better than all the other apostles. Like, I'm the guy. I'm, so, and I'm And it bugged me. I'm like, who is this dude? I don't like that. It, it just rubbed me the wrong way. I felt weird about it. Until I understood what he was really saying. Because there's a reason why he calls himself the apostle whom Jesus loved. And by the way, it was more recent than I want to admit that I figured this out. But it's all wrapped up in his identity. So think about this. John had been around Jesus. He, he understood that he was holy. He understood that he was perfect. He understood that he could do miracles. He understood that he was God in the flesh. He, he figured, we figured these things out as he reveals them to them. And, and I think what we started to realize is, is John's like, I don't have the right to stand in the presence of God. I mean, think about this. The God of the universe, and I, you may be like, you say that word a lot. You say that phrase, the God of the universe, and I do. Because it puts into perspective the, the hugeness of who God is. You look at our, the Milky Way and there's billions of stars in the Milky Way, right? There's billions. I'm not going Carl Sagan on you, but there's billions and billions of stars in the Milky Way. That's just one of more billions and billions of stars and galaxies. Like there's all these stars and all these planets and all these suns and all these things going on and that he spoke them into being. He spoke them into being with his words. He holds life and death in the palm of his hands. He holds the universe together. He holds you together. He rules and reigns on high and yet... He is walking with John through the desert. And he's like, I know who you are. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, the Word was with God. Without him, no thing was created. He got it. That's why he starts the, the book of John that way. Because he's like, I know who you are. And you loved me. You walked with me. You spoke with me. You engaged me. You, you interacted with me. When he was sitting there with Jesus' mom and he's dying on the cross, he's going, you're di- why are you dying on the cross? Because you're dying for my sins. I should be up there, not you. You, sh- you didn't do anything wrong. You didn't sin. I should be up there. I should be taking that wrath. And what happened in that moment is he's like, I don't even care who I was. My, my identity's not wrapped in, up in, in me being John. My identity's not in who I am and what I've done. My identity's not in how great I am. My identity is now rooted and founded in the fact that Jesus loves me. He's all. Like, you can call me Jesus loves me. That's, that's all I care about. Because it doesn't matter who I am because the God of the universe loves me, cares for me, died for me, gave his life for me. That's who he sees as his identity now. Like, I'm just a guy that Jesus loves and he shouldn't. That's how he does it. And here's, and me too. And you too. That's that's heavy. I mean, you got to ask this question. When you think about the love of Jesus... Ask yourself some questions. Are you in awe of his love? Like, does it just go, I I don't know what to do with this. I don't know how to even engage the idea of this kind of love that came down from heaven to be with me, to die in my place. Does this love define you? Is it where you find your worth and your identity and your value? John, he didn't care what they did to him. He's like, Jesus loves me. That's all I need. God loves me. God cares for me. God died for me. It defined him. Does this life change you? Like, are you changed by it? See, that's that's the point. He was known as one of the sons of thunder. Remember the whole thing, sons of thunder? And they they were just like these, just rough and rowdy guys. John was one of them. Remember they go and Jesus says, hey, I want you to go to these towns and I want you to go preach the gospel. He's like, okay, we'll do it. And then this one town like rejected him and rejected Jesus. And they're like, Jesus, these guys rejected you. Like we should burn them up. Like, let's burn this house down. It's like fire, brimstone. Like, should I do it or do you want it? I mean, it doesn't matter. Whoever, like someone's going to burn this place up. She's like, well, we're, we're not burning houses today, John. Like, that's, that's not what we're going to do. It's a non-burning day, okay? Like, think that's who John was. But he came in contact with the love of God And it transformed him him into the apostle of love. And it became how he would then interact with believers and the rest of the world. When you really come into contact with this love, it changes you. There is no other option. God's love will change you. He became a conduit of God's love. The term that he would use over and over again is abide. That's that term that he keeps using. Jesus would say that he is the vine and we are the branch, that we're connected to him, that we now live through Jesus in his life and through his redemption. So says that no one has seen God, but when we love each other this way, they get a glimpse, they get a faint picture of who God is, what he's like when they see our lives, when we live this love out. And you're like, Simon, I, I'm not going to lie, that kind of love seems very daunting, As a matter of fact, I don't think I have the ability to love in this way. Like, no one can do that. There's a reason why Jesus was the guy who lived this way. And everyone's like, you got to love like Jesus. And if that's how you feel, good. You should feel that way because you can't love that way. Not in and of yourself. You don't have the ability in and of yourself to live this kind of love out. This kind of sacrificial laying down your life, meeting the needs of others on your own power. You don't. And that's the good news because he knows that we can't. And in verse 13, he tells us this. By this, we know that we abide in him and that he in us because he has given us of his spirit. He's like, I know you can't do it. That's why I gave you the Holy Spirit. So you could live this love out. Empowered by God. See, we need a new heart. We need a heart transplant that beats in a new way, not out of the old life that did not live for God, but a new one that lives for God, filled with God so we can live this kind of love out every day. See, that's the plan. When I think of this kind of love, uh, my mind goes to a fire hose, those giant, you know, fire hoses the firemen use, and they're pumping just hundreds and hundreds of gallons a second at fires, right? Like there's a hose that's connected to a, to a hydrant and it shoots out water and it goes through like a nozzle and it's a high intensity amount of water. Well, what's that water meant to do? That water is meant to put out fire, which is destructive and harmful. See, here's the thing I need to just understand. We're the hose, God's love is the water that then flows through the hose. The water is the important part. That's what's going to take care of the problem, the destructive problem, the fire that's happening right there. See, God's love killed the destructive power of sin in our life that was going to kill us. And the love of Jesus, when he died on the cross, killed the power of sin and transformed us. From destruction to life, if we have placed our lives in the life of Jesus and been filled with the Holy Spirit. Now we get to have that same kind of love pour out of us. We are that conduit in the lives of brothers and sisters. And as we get to live this love out with each other, it shows the world around us what this love looks like when it interacts perfectly. See, it's saying that there's this perfect love that as God has loved us perfectly, He's given us the Holy Spirit, which allows us to then live that out. And it's saying that's being perfected in us. It's going full circle that His children reflect Him in the same way. That's what we're called to do. See, this love builds in us confidence. That we know when Jesus comes back, we're not going to fear His return. But we joyfully anticipate knowing that the one who loves us is coming back. My wife, she came back in the town and I got to pick her up. Now, I was late because my phone died last night and I've still got the shakes for not having a phone. But she was anticipating, she wasn't fearful of me showing up, like, oh no, Simon's coming. What's going to happen? No, she was excited, like, the man who loves me is coming to pick me up. We're going to embrace, we're going to kiss, we're going to go home. It's going to be great. Like, that's, like, there's no fear there. See, this transformed life is the evidence of our faith, not the source of our salvation. See, because fear is based on punishment of some kind. But if you're a child of God, if you've placed your faith in the life of Jesus Christ, you know that the punishment, the wrath, has been paid for. It's the propitiation for our sins, right? That there was wrath that was appeased, that turned us to goodwill to the offended party, which is God. We know that because of that, we don't fear that wrath because the wrath's been paid for on the cross. Jesus took it. He he, Every ounce of it, every bit of it, for those that have placed their faith in Him. That's what He's done. And this is why John's pushing so hard on how we live. It, I'll say it all the time. It matters how you live. It matters. It shows that we're connected to the right source. Like, if I was to take a fire hose and hook it up to a fire hydrant, you're not wondering, are jelly beans going to come out? You, you don't think that. Or even worse, you don't go, is fire going to come out? No, the water's meant to put out the fire, not to add more fire. And that's what he's saying. If you love, you're connected to the source. The fire hydrant is God and his love will then flow from you. And if you're hating your brother, if you're hating your sister, if you're hating others, it means you're connected to the wrong source. That's what he's saying. You're not connected to him. If you are connected to God and God is love, then love will flow from us. That's the big idea that John is getting at. If we have been given a new heart and a new life, it's going to look like the place where it came from. See, God made the first move when it came to loving. We couldn't even make the first move because we were dead in our sins, the Bible would say. So John would say that he, because he, we love because he loved us first. We have seen what perfect love looks like. And because we've been forgiven such great a debt, we can then love others. So as we've been pressing into this book, we realize that it, it, the city was Ephesus, the one we're talking about, where he was at and who he was loving and all these things. There's a, a, a passage in Revelation 2, 2:4. He's talking to the church in Ephesus. This is John later, towards the end of his life, writing this letter. And it talks about some stuff that's going on. And actually, the beginning of that section, John's like, things are going good. You're doing this and you're doing that. He says that you, you know, I know your works, you toil and you're patient and endurance, how you can't bear with those who are evil. It's like, you're doing good stuff. The the people that he's talking to, now he's talking about this. He says this in verse 4. This is one thing that we need to see. But I have this against you that you have abandoned the love you had at first. This is Jesus talking to the church in Ephesus. John is pinning these letters for Christ. You stopped loving. That's important to Jesus. So that should be important to us. They lost their love. They were doing all this other good stuff, but they lost their love. And that's the thing that Jesus wants to address. Have you lost your love? Because he tells them that they repent. He'll forgive them. Turn back to being loving. See, we become the visible messengers of the invisible loving God. That's who we are. We're the visible messengers of the invisible, loving God. And I just kind of got, as we start to wrap up, I want to ask, like, what source are you connected to? What fire hydrant are you connected to in life? Because all of us at some point were connected to a different fire hydrant. Maybe it's the fire hydrant of self, and it's all about you. Maybe it's the fire hydrant you know, of, of power, of lust, of money, of prestige, of relationships. Maybe it's just all about you. And, and, and you're realizing, like, there's not that love flowing out of my life. What are you connected to? Maybe you're hearing this and you feel like, I'm not living this out. Or maybe even worse, you're like, I'm trying to live this out in my own power. That's problematic. And I would tell you this, if you're trying to live out this kind of love in your own power and not through the power of the Holy Spirit, I would ask you to stop, repent, and submit to the Holy Spirit. Because Galatians 5.22 actually tells us what it looks like when we're connected to God and the Spirit is dwelling us. I lost my, my place there. It says this in verse 22, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. What's it start with? Love. It starts with love. This is where this all pours out of how we love, how we live. Who is God calling you to love? And I would say this, maybe you're here and you're like I've just I don't know I I feel lost, Simon. I feel like I'm not connected to that source. I'd love to talk with you afterwards. I would love to have a conversation with you about what it means to be connected to the source of all love. It's connected to God through Jesus Christ who died for your sins. I would say this, if you're a believer and you've been here a long time and you're like, man, my love is just not, it doesn't look like this. Man, what a great opportunity just to confess that to God today and to lay that down. Be like, you know what, God, you've loved me. you fill filled me with the Holy Spirit who loves me, and I get to live that love out. And you can do that today. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing some music, and we're just going to continue worshiping the God that loves us so greatly. Because, I mean, I am the one that Jesus loved. You are the one that Jesus loved, and we get to live that out. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this time where we could just learn and read and hear what your word has to say about love and I know that we just scratched the surface on this Lord I know there's so much more we could talk about and my hope would be is that this week that the men and women here today are going to continue to press into your word and they would see all the little areas that I didn't hit they would talk about it in their life groups Lord, we want to be a people that shows your love to the world. We want to be a conduit. We want to be a fire hose used by you, connected to your source, God, so we can show the world who you are. If we are truly image bearers of you, that we would bear the image of a God, a God that is love, and the world would stop and pause and see the greatness, the glory, and the majesty of who you are. Lord, where we need to confess, let us confess. Where we need to take hope and encouragement, let us take hope and encouragement. We love you. For this, in your glorious and amazing name, amen.